I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I'm so bad at it. It's a cool Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Crown Season 4. Four, Damask Leary, yes. how are you doing? I'm good. I'm just laughing because my puppy Pearl is trying so desperately to get your attention while you're trying to be a professional. She's licking your hand. She's bringing you all her toys. I want to play so bad, Pearl, but I have work <laughs> to do. I'm sorry. Now have a nap. Come back later. Yeah. I'll play with you afterwards. Oh, now she's looking at me. Okay. No one look at her. No one look at her. <laughs> ignore her. Ignore her. Mm. But um, other than that, I actually took the time to listen to our previous The Crown episode. Oh, good. Um, which is something I just refuse to do generally. But I was laughing at the fact that you and I had both just come back from trips. I'd yeah. been to India. You'd gone to Tasmania. And we are talking about how important it is to get out of the home. And I was thinking, you well. naive assholes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what's coming for you. Just sitting here talking about everyone needs to go on a holiday. It's <laughs> so good for you. And what's happened this year? Can't oh, go anywhere. That I think said, we jinxed it. I feel like we made it happen somehow. This was our fault. You're going to blame Corona, the world. I am that self-centered. Yes, it's right. all about me. We are getting away this weekend. We're going camping. We are going camping. How long has it been since you've been camping, bro? Um, we used to go camping at university at uni. The start of every year, there'd be a camp, which was mm. really just to go to the beach and get absolutely fucked off your face. Yep, nice. Um, but that was intense, so I guess that counts. Yeah. That's the last time I went camping, I think, so 10 years ago, something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. A little How about while. about you? Um... Not that long ago, like last year, mm. I think. Yeah, with our friend Lauren, who's been on the show previously. Oh, uh, mm, yes. Yes. Mm, quite yes. Fun. I quite enjoy camping. It makes me feel like a hobbit, you know, like I'm going on a big adventure. I'm real. I'm actually super looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to just like sitting in like one of those ridiculous fold-out camp chairs and like mm-hmm. reading a book with a drink and just doing nothing. Is I'm, that the plan? I'm not letting you read a book. I'm going to be annoying you the whole time. What do you? Why? What do, what, what do you want to do? <laughs> Or I want to look deeply into your eyes and talk about television. <laughs> oh, God. Well, we can do that for the next hour. Okay. Let's get to our spoiler-free review of The Crown at Season 4. Let me clue you in. Season in Review. The Crown Season 4 skips ahead a few years after Harold Wilson, taking us to 1979 and the beginning of Margaret Thatcher's 11-year stint as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Unlike last season, the core cast goes unchanged, with the notable inclusion of Emma Corrin as Diana, Princess of Wales, and Gillian Anderson as the aforementioned Iron Lady. Season 4 of The Crown consists of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 54 minutes, and took us approximately 9 hours to watch. 
This is the final season for this cast, with Imelda Staunton, Jonathan Price, and Leslie Manville set to succeed Coleman, Menzies, and Bonham Carter for the final two seasons. So, Damas, before we get to our spoiler-free review of The Crown Season Mm 4, could you remind the listeners what you thought of the first three seasons of The Crown? I was shocked at how much I loved it. Yeah. I thought I was going to be bored shitless, Um, but I wasn't. I soon began a love affair with old Lilibet. Um, Just, you know... And I'm fully in at this stage. Like every time a new season of The Crown comes around, I get very excited. I want to devour it. But I, I held off doing that this year because I knew I'd have to take my time with it because it, we had a little while before we would review it. What about you, bro? Yeah, similar. Uh, as I've said in the previous reviews that we've done, had no real interest in the monarchy before this, even though I am we are part of the Commonwealth being Australians. Um, didn't think I was going to have any interest in it, but by golly, did it suck me in. Just... Such great television, mm. um, like of a quality and a standard. Like obviously, they talk about how expensive this show is to make, and you can see that money on screen, no doubt. Um, but just the writing, the performances, the structure of the show. There's so many things this show does right um, that I really, really look forward to every se- every new season that's coming out now. Um, so, with that in mind, mm-hmm. could you please give us your review of season four of The Crown? I would love to. This season of The Crown, we have two huge figures in recent British history, and I found myself pretty keen to dive into what this show does best, be subtly scandalous with its curated selection of moments in time. Like other seasons, it was an easy watch, although the new additions of Diana and Thatcher weren't the hook I thought they would be. I found myself wanting more of the OG crew and less of the new queens. I was fascinated by the characterization of Diana, though, She was a charismatic figure, for sure, and yet the character on the show seemed to be entirely without charisma. There was something curious about her, for sure, but I wasn't drawn to her. At first, I was shocked at the lack of depth she seemed to possess. The Diana we get in this season lacks depth for a reason, though, and it's something I hadn't thought of previously, as she died when I was very, very little. Diana was young, super, super young when she came to be a part of the Windsors. And so at this stage in the show, it makes sense that Diana's naivete informs everything she does. Is it annoying? Absolutely. But all teenagers are annoying. That's science. Diana's strange mannerisms and coquettish nature aggravated me. She somehow manages to walk through life knowing she's standing on the thinnest of ice and yet unable to stop herself from moving forward. And it stressed me the fuck out. I didn't finish the show thinking I had a deeper understanding of Diana, but that perhaps is wise. It's hard to invent a character's internal life when they are based on someone who lives so vividly in people's memory. When there is so much love for her, you don't want to put a foot wrong. You also don't want to make her a saint. It's a tough tightrope. And in the balance, she becomes less of a person and more of a symbol. Now to Thatcher. Whoo boy. I got to say, I was pretty disappointed. Oh. Yeah. Gillian Anderson does her best, but in my opinion, her portrayal is overcooked. Thatcher, who, yes, was terrible, wasn't just a doddering old fool. And that's all I got from Anderson's performance. The voice sounds like she smokes 70 cigarettes a day. The grimace, which was a natural position for Thatcher, looks like an active choice for Anderson. Getting a recognisable name seems to be the modus operandi for the last two seasons. Anderson is obviously a fantastic actor, But here, I do think it was a misstep. I don't see Thatcher. I see the actor doing an impression and it is distracting. 
In summary, though, I was still engaged and fascinated by this family of emotionally stunted weirdos. Elizabeth is still the best, and I love Margaret, although I'm sad she gets less screen time. Same goes for Anne too. More Anne, please. It's a well-made series showcasing some of the weirder moments in recent history that is both fun and captivating. I still really like it, but you know, slightly less this time around. Sure. Very interesting review. Okay, cool. Um, I'll start with the the basic stuff or the or the predictable stuff. The things that I've enjoyed about the show previously mm. are still very, very much here when it comes to a production side of things. Um, is still the structure of this show over 10 episodes, very episodic in nature, where every episode feels like a complete thought, mm-hmm. although there does seem to be more of an, like, if you think about this season, it's sort of split into two parts. There's the Diana and Charles storyline, which is going on from beginning to end of this season. Mm -hmm. And then there's sort of the Thatcher side of things, which sort of dovetails heavily into the Elizabeth side of things. Um, And so they're your two sort of like trajectories throughout the season. The episodes still do feel like complete holes, though. They centre around one idea or one topic um, for the most part, and they just fully invest and dive into those really, really well. I love that about this show. I come away feeling full after the end of every episode, but ready Mm. for the next part. Same way, the same way the production side of things, the cinematic language of this show is just second to none. I have said it every time we've talked about this, but I cannot get over just how good they are at doing this stuff. I kept writing down the word juxtaposition, right? The show has a way of using what's on screen, the cinematic language, visual language, and auditory language, I might add as well, to really make strong points without having to verbalize it, but it's never confusing. You know exactly what's trying to say mm-hmm. about the positions of different people in society or even um, sort of real. like a great example of this I thought was, and it's a little bit on the nose because, of course, if you know your history, you know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but setting up Diana's relationship with the media really early on Mm. and like there is a darkness and a suffocating nature to it that if you understand her fate obviously is a part of that Mm. and while it might seem obvious it's still so effective and i just can't get over how well this show does this stuff i don't know if another show does it this well yeah the the complicated relationship though it's not simply that the press is a dark force as well like it is a relationship that she does have with it and yes. she is very good at it in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I like the complications around that, which is good. These two stories, and I think the success, how much you like or dislike this season comes down to whether you feel like they did these parts well. Mm. I personally thought performance-wise, I quite liked um, what they were doing with Diana and Charles. Is it soft? soap operatic at times mm. possibly mm-hmm. is that possibly the reality of this situation when you talk about these larger than life characters of the mm. royals in society and sort of what the royal family has become maybe <laughs> but does that mean it's necessarily the best drama all the time that's for you to decide i think as a viewer i mm-hmm. for the most part liked it it was shakespearean at times it was also frustratingly naive at times as well mm. i thought and I, but maybe that's true to reality of the situation the thatcher side of things though is where I think I'm going to really differ with you. Okay. Where Most I, reviews did, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not as familiar with Thatcher the person. I'm familiar with her legacy in that sense, but I haven't spent a lot of time watching Thatcher interviews or know her. So I'm not sure how much of a caricature or how accurate to the performance Gillian uh, Anderson's sort of take was, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. However, I th- and I sort of see what you're saying, especially because we're familiar. We had this discussion last season when we were talking about 
Olivia Coleman taking over as Elizabeth, right? Whereas mm. Claire Foy embodied that for us because we weren't familiar with Claire Foy yes. before this. So she became Liz in our minds and like Olivia Coleman steps in and is like, oh, that's Olivia Coleman pretending to be the Queen. Yeah. Same for Helen Bonham Carter pretending to be Margaret. And this time around, we get Gillian Anderson and it's like, well, that's Scully slash, you know, any other mm-hmm. character she's played being Margaret Thatcher. And so, of course, that face she's making is not a natural mm. position for her. And so it looks strained because it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I can definitely see where you're yeah. going with that and how that's not working. But every time you had Olivia Coleman and Gillian Anderson in a scene together and these two titans are performing the fuck out of it, mm. I was in heaven. Yeah. Like there's a scene in like the second or third episode where they're just sitting in a car together. Mm. And I was like, this is such a fucking treat. I am yeah. so enjoying just letting these two great performers do their thing. And the thing I found this season, last season, the Olivia Coleman aspect was I was a little bit disappointed. I think I was still getting over Claire Foy. Mm. And I had a hard time attaching myself to Olivia Coleman's Elizabeth. She owned it a lot more this season, I thought. I agree. It yeah. became her own version a bit well, more. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, less of a, a shock because I think we were familiar with understood, her yeah, knew Elizabeth much more as a person becoming the queen. And then yeah. when, when we first meet Olivia Coleman's queen, she is the queen yes. and we lose the person. But now I think they give her enough room that she is able to inhabit both, which is good. Yes. And. Yeah, I just thought she was she was owning the role much more and I wasn't seeing Olivia Colman as much as I was seeing her version of the Queen. Mm-hmm. And then that alongside Gillian Anderson's Thatcher, who I found to be a fascinating figure throughout this season. I really thought, I'm fascinated to talk to you in the spoiler section mm. about what they were trying to say or do with Margaret Thatcher because she's obviously a controversial, some would say divisive figure. Others would say there's nothing divisive about it. <laughs> um, yeah. And the show was more sympathetic towards her than maybe I anticipated it was going to be. Mm. I'm looking forward to talking about that as well. I don't know. I, I I mean, I think that's this show though. If you don't expect, because this show is about making the most unsympathetic people sympathetic, at least in some way, in just a, them being human way. So if they sure. didn't do that for Thatcher, I think it would feel even more inauthentic. Sure, yeah. sure. I don't know. Overall, I think... What this season did better than last season, perhaps, A, I was familiar with these actors in these roles now. I'd gotten used to seeing um, Tobias Menzies, Halbon Carter, mm-hmm. um, Olivia Coleman in these roles. The inclusions of... It was always going to take a more dramatic step up once you include Margaret Thatcher and Princess Diana. Mm. And that side of things felt... This season felt more defined than the last season did. Yes. Which is gives it a step up, I think. And it possibly is my second favourite season mm. of the show so far. Mm-hmm. The first I still think is almost perfect. Yeah. So good. Um, and the second had teeth. Sorry, the third had teething problems for me. Mm-hmm. I think I, I really, really found myself just, while I think there's things to criticise about some of the storytelling perhaps mm-hmm. um, or some of the portrayals of the characters, I really, really, really loved this season. I thought it was so well defined and it was just such a fascinating period. And it's helping. Well, what's making it more complex now as well is that it's becoming much more in the period that people remember, even yes. people of our generation. Mm-hmm. Like, this is starting to, to get to modern times, and we can't hide behind this being a period piece anymore. Mm. Like, there's a lot of talk about how accurate this season is or isn't, or how loosey-goosey it is with yeah. the facts and reality. And 
that's fascinating in its own way mm. and certainly makes me raise eyebrows that I wasn't raising in the first couple of seasons because I just wasn't familiar with the era. What are your thoughts on that then, the, the accuracy? Because I don't think it – I don't mind the outline of truth and then in the middle is good television. It becomes a bigger problem where – so I we talked about this in the f- first couple of seasons mm. where it felt like a lot of a history lesson because I wasn't familiar with any of these yes. things that were happening. And so that was a blurry line. It's like, this isn't a doc- documentary. You shouldn't treat it as a history lesson. But I am learning a lot about the royal family I didn't know. Mm. I'm not so much learning about the royal family know, now as I'm seeing a perspective on events that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, my I think my just sort of perception has changed for it. I'm not thinking of it as a history lesson anymore. I'm thinking of it as an interpretation. And yes. while a lot of this is not factually correct, timelines are wrong, all sorts of things like that, mm. I think it does give you some insight into these characters, these larger-than-life characters as human beings Mm -hmm. that might not be, you know, completely accurate, but probably is touching on the truth of the situation to some degree. It's a Mm dramatisation. We need to remember that. Mm -hmm. It's never been more clear. But I've also become more aware of that myself and I think I'm enjoying it on that level. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I, I agree with that. I think I see it in very much the same way. Yeah. It's it's a fa- it's fascinating watching this move into the future and the next two seasons as well. We'll talk about that at the end mm. of this episode. But even more and more, I'm fascinated to see as that relationship becomes more part of my actual memory. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how we feel about it as we go along. Um, you were writing down a response to something there as I was talking. I just had a thought about the character of Diana that I don't think occurred to me mm-hmm. previously as you were you were talking about her. It's like. This show is about just absolute weirdos. And I think the perception of... That's so well said. It's true. Yeah. The perception of Diana is, you know, she's got, you know, this moniker, although that was, I'm quite sure, post-death, like the people's princess Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And she was like the relatable one. Mm -hmm. And I think this show perhaps was showing that she was an... A weirdo as well. She was just a different type of weirdo, but she was still a part of the aristocracy mm-hmm. and still had like a lot of her, of her own shit. She very much was a very strange person, which is what I got when I watched a couple of her interviews a couple of years ago because I didn't know that much about. Her. I was like, "Huh, that's not the image that was projected to me by my mum and her friends about who Princess Diana was." Sure. And then when I actually saw footage of her, I was like, "Oh, she actually seems much more interesting." than this fairy tale idea of her. And I think just as you were talking earlier, I was like, yeah, she was she was just as weird, just in a very different way. Um and I and What do you think that difference is between her weirdness and the Windsor's weirdness? Um connection to emotion. So yeah. while Diana was overly emotional and sometimes unable to regulate her own emotions. These people were so good at regulating emotions that a lot of the time it just seemed as though they didn't have any or couldn't even evaluate their own emotions. So just on different sides of the spectrum entirely in that way. It it, it is interesting. Uh, If you try and take all four seasons as a whole, as we've got so far, right, a big Mm -hmm. discussion is about, I mean, there's always talks about like the crown comes first and that's a big part of what Elizabeth is doing throughout this season as well. But the the idea of them needing to modernise and maybe like that's always come down to things like making themselves more accessible through radio and television and those sorts of things, doing more public events. Mm. 
But what Diana probably did that set her up, set her apart and made her so beloved compared to the other royals was that she did have a connection to emotion mm-hmm. as the world became more interested or yeah, needed more of that going on. She was yeah. providing it where the royals just naturally weren't doing it. It was mm-hmm. not a part of their fabric. Mm. Um Oh, yeah, it, it's been it's been fascinating to watch the evolution, and then and then that talk of trying to modernise, but just wholesale rejecting it. We're getting into spoiler territory now, <laughs> but again, this is all you know, real history to some mm. de- degree. Yes. How would you give? Uh, how would you score this season out of five stars? Uh, I I keep tossing up between three point five and four, which is where you've been sitting a lot. You gave last season a three point five as well. I think I gave season one a four, yep. and then the following two three point five. It's really hard because it's it's for me nowhere near as good as the first season. Yeah, I think the first season stands apart as being the best season. Yes. Season two, I really enjoyed, but wasn't quite as good as season one because I yep. think I was just blown away by what's how good season. Like you said about season three, though, yes, teething problems. Mm-hmm. Um, more as an audience member, I'd be fascinated to go back to that now that I've spent mm, more time with them and yeah. see if I still had that problem. I think yeah, when I watched season three. Because I jumped straight from season two into season three mm. for the first episode or two. And I was like, whoa, no, 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 no. Yeah. But then when I had a little break and I think I finished watching it after my trip to India and I was like, oh, okay, this feels a bit better. Yep. Oh, is it better than two or three? I can't say that it is for me. I th- Yeah. So I think I'm going to sit with three point. It's a high 3.5 for me. Yep. But it's... it's not as good as season one, though. This is sort of where I'm sitting a little bit high up the the scale, though. Mm. I think I'm going to give it a four. I gave season one a 4.5. I think I gave last season a four. I think this is better than last season, but I don't want to put it at the same degree. I don't think it's as masterful as season mm. one is. I wish my scores were your scores because I think they're truer to how I feel about the show, but that's fine. You know, can't go back. <laughs> can't change the past. <laughs> just accept it. <laughs> it's, it's just a... Uh, I just, there's so many parts about this show that are excellent. Mm. And some of the things that make this season better or more dramatically fulfilling are also some of the reasons that maybe it's slightly lesser than other seasons mm. in terms of its care with character or leaning to more in, more into things that probably aren't true for the sake of characterization. Like there's a lot to, but this, I think this is the one thing I, I didn't get to in my review that I want to say. I write so many notes writing this show. Mm. Sometimes when I'm watching a show, I struggle to think, find things I really want to yeah, talk about. This show is not that problem. I have mm. pages of stuff because mm. there are things that are impressing me so often about what's going on or they're honing in on something fascinating about these characters or whatever it might be. It's just so rich that I can't give it anything lower than a four because it, it's a standard of television that is very few things are hitting at this stage. Yeah. Does it get everything right? Is it the most compelling story all the time? Maybe not, but Boy, it's hitting such a high benchmark episode after episode after season after season. It is really impressive to me still. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys the podcast to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps a show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. We would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends and family who you think might also enjoy listening. Next week, we'll be back with our review of The Mandalorian Season 2. It'll likely be our last review of the year. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of The Mandalorian, or if you have any thoughts on The Crown, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include in a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at HuntingSCast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for The Crown Season 4. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 4 of The Crown. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of The Crown up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. This season begins with the introduction of a wood nymph named Diana. She skips into Charles' heart by hiding behind some shrubs and giggling. She is very keen on the future king, and he is very keen on a woman who looks at him adoringly. I'm not psychic, but I have a feeling these kids are going to make it. Elizabeth also has her eye on a new woman, except this one sounds like she smokes a billion cigarettes a day and rocks her dowager's hump. In their first meeting, Lilibet wants to discuss lady things, but Thatcher just finds a copy of the feminine mistake and wipes her ass with it. Women are too emotional for leadership, she says. We lose poor old Uncle Dickie, which is very sad. Philip, in all his grief, punches his son in the face for being the new favourite of his faux papa. What is with this family and needing to be number one? I can't imagine why they're all obsessed with hierarchies. Feeling sad about Dickie's death as well as receiving a guilt letter from the grave, Charles jumps right into an engagement with Diana. Nothing quite like a shotgun wedding to a child bride to lift your spirits. 
Next, we head to Balmoral, where the Windsors really put the cunt in country. These people had me feeling sorry for Maggie Thatcher as they looked down their exceptionally snooty noses at her. She fails the Balmoral test, but the young Diana wins them over by tearing open a stag's throat with her bare hands. Bravo! As preparations for the marriage are underway, Charles starts to have second thoughts. Too late now, old chap. Mummy and Daddy don't care about your feelings. Who would have thought that hundreds of years of strategic marriages would make such a miserable family? Thatcher's favourite son goes missing in the desert because he is the embodiment of an 80s joke about men. Why don't they ever ask for directions? Lol. This whole debacle has Liz wondering who her favourite is. I'm with Philip, who unquestioningly and without pause chooses Anne. The Queen, however, chooses Andrew, which, as we all know, is a big mistake. Moving on. A man breaks into the palace and chats about the news of the day with the Queen. He tells her that it's a bit hard to live when all social services are being gutted and the sense of community has been decimated by Thatcher's policies. The Queen says thanks for the chat and he goes off to prison. Charles and Diana go to Australia and Struth, their relationship looks like hard yakka. They hate each other most of the time. Then they have one conversation about being nice and then they go to the bone zone. Everything's solved! It doesn't last long though because Charles is a little slut for Camilla. He can't say no to a woman that he can perform jokes with, which is the most bizarre scene. Our beloved Princess Margaret finds out some pretty shocking details about her poor cousins who were locked away in a mental facility and then declared dead. She is very angry about it, but from what I can tell from the show, does nothing about it, which is very Windsor of her. Next, South Africa asks Maggie T to help by laying down some sanctions. The Queen is all for it, but MT likes her loser son's financial interests in South Africa to be protected. Once again, she is the worst. Down comes the snow in Switzerland and it almost kills Charles. I'm surprised he didn't wish for death since he is apparently doing an impression of me as my most surly 14-year-old self. He can't get over the fact that he's married to a woman he doesn't have much in common with. Instead of just getting on, letting her have her romps, and playing nice, he becomes the biggest jerk in the world. He freezes her out, continues seeing Camilla, and then gets huffy when she finds companionship elsewhere. Diana has reached the end of the rope and is preparing to blow up Charles and his whole family next season. Cannot wait. Thatcher has zero friends left. Not surprising since the woman doesn't know how to have a conversation with someone without breaking their kneecaps and then refusing their right to healthcare. Her party turns and she is out of office. Bang! The Queen feels a bit bad though, so she gives Thatcher a participation medal. Cheerio, Maggie T. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I'm loving having these story times with Damas back. Oh, good. I mean, so good. <laughs> Uh, it does actually help me to remember what happens in oh, the show. Well, please keep it up because I am loving them. Uh, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? You have a lot to say about Maggie Thatcher in your uh, in your story time there. Mm. Do you have any particular <sighs> insights on her? Obviously, you're not loving the performance from Julian Anderson there. Yeah, because when I first watched the impression mm-hmm. or performance, I was like, the "Impression well, that says everything." Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "It's a lot." Yes, obviously, just. Off the bat, you're like, whoa, that's that's a lot going on there. Um, then I was like, oh, that's probably what she's like, though. Mm. And then I was watching some interviews because the Thatcher on screen is, I mean, I do think she comes off as like a bit of a doddering old fart. See, I disagree with that. I, I thought she came across as 
like she's got very particular characteristics yes. in terms of how her she talks and holds herself and all sorts of things, but she never seemed doddering to me. She always seemed. I mean, yeah, I think it's more in, in like control. the the mannerisms, how she is holding yes. herself. Like she yeah. seems like a woman who is in her fifties pretending to be eighty. Sure, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. not where she's at yep. at the yep. beginning, certainly not at the beginning of the season. So it's confusing. Sure. And then I, yeah, watched a bunch of interviews and, you know, Margaret Thatcher for all her faults, like, you know, she seemed strong and she had like this wry smile when she needs to, like when it's a bit of a joke, um, she came across as very confident. Like she wasn't one note, yep. I think. And I think in this, so most of the time she really is just that one note. So bad people are often very clever and charismatic people. And that's yes. why I don't think we were getting from yes. Julie Anderson. She was playing her in this very, mm, what would you call it? Very particular sort of, yeah, I think the idea that she's look seems older than she really was at that time is mm. correct. She seemed like she would have been in her 80s or something like that. Playing her very aged up for some reason. Yes. Um, someone who's dying her hair colour, but they're really 80 and they're hiding their graves, something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, walking around frail almost, which does not, I don't think, reflect the reality of the situation. But again, I'm not as familiar with that. She was very as- uptight, obviously. And she did have that grimace. But yeah, there was... There's a charisma a, there. Yeah, there is. And she was like whip smart. And, you know, when she got you, she knew that she got you. Yeah. And you could tell in her face that she got you. So yeah. it was like there's a bit of that to her. Um, as opposed to kind of being this almost socially inept mm. woman who was just couldn't stop herself from being so blunt and callous and all those things. Sure, absolutely. Um, what did you think about how they portrayed the character in the show? Not necessarily the performance, mm. but what they did with Margaret Thatcher. Again, as we said, a controversial figure to say the least. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, <laughs> did... What they were trying to say with her, I, I felt like I went on a journey in mm-hmm. the sense that I have a lot of preconceived ideas about Margaret Thatcher, what she represents. Yes. Um, and I was surprised, like you said, there was a certain amount of sympathy I had for her and her husband when they were doing the Balmoral test. Oh, yeah. And like, I was like, how dare this show make me <laughs> feel this way for this character? I mean, I don't mind moments of sympathy sure. for people. Um I mean, I think it would be a I, great... I was tongue-in-cheek in yeah, saying yeah, how, yeah. Dare, how dare they, yeah. yeah. I'm sure there are people online who absolutely believe that it should be black and white and sure. to not portray that is a betra- like a class betrayal or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think that is accurate or productive in any way. Um, but I, I did like the moments of the light and the dark and I think in the Balmoral episode particularly, I was excited because I was like, Perhaps we are going to see a more human side of her, you know, mm-hmm. the embarrassment or the awkwardness of having the wrong shoes. Of, oh, when they came down in black tie. Mm-hmm. Almost Apparently died. did not happen. Yeah. Absolute well, that's, fiction. I mean, that's the thing is like she is a leader of the conservative party. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she was kind of probably well-versed on a lot of these things. Not to say that she liked the royals at all because she didn't, but that's not to say that she would be so ill-informed. Just very quickly, because mm. I don't think I don't want to dwell on this, but it is interesting to think about these two last seasons as a pair, right? And what Harold Wilson, as mm. someone who was, you know, on the Labor Party, anti-establishment, anti-sort of the mm. royal family, 
and sort of the idea that they created quite a remarkable friendship or partnership that he's found some sort of appreciation and common ground with Elizabeth. Mm. And then Margaret Thatcher's part of the Conservative Party, theoretically, you know, pro pro the, this conservatism and this um and the royals mm. having more of a conflict with that. I thought it was a really interesting like pairing yeah. of those two prime ministers together into these last two seasons. Yeah, it it really is because obviously, um, sorry, the name Wilson is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Wilson and the Queen while, you know, disagreed, uh, disagreed in a lot of areas, had, I think, similar a similar yeah, moral centre. Yes. And a love for their country and what their country was and mm-hmm. or could be. Whereas, you know, Maggie T, as I call her, uh, she, like, while she, it's weird because she is a conservative, but what I found interesting, because we also see that when she is having conversations with other conservatives. Yes. Um, including the Queen, is that she really isn't about conserving con- like institutions or mm. um, the way that life has been, which is like what one would expect from a conservative. Well, she's not a moderate, right? No. Which is what a lot of these career politicians are trying to be, right? Yes. They want to stay in power once they're in power. Mm-hmm. They're not really interested in upending the status quo where she, if anything else... And let's obviously say... Oh, no, he's playing devil's advocate. No, no, it's not devil's advocate. It is the, <laughs> is the idea that she definitely had ambition. Terrible ambition, <laughs> ultimately. No sympathy or mm-hmm. care. She did not have an empathetic bone in her body, apparently. But she had ambition to make changes. She had a vision. She definitely had a vision. I think ill-informed. Definitely. Um, vision but she did yeah <laughs> and, but i think i i'm glad like that's that's the, the road they're going through i think that's ultimately where they're trying to end up with that final scene with her and elizabeth when she's getting that merit meritus award of some mm. sort from her which to me was the biggest question mark on how they ended this run it's mm. like so your last scene with this character what are you trying to say when you have we you know, I don't want to say our hero of the piece, but certainly our main character, our protagonist mm. in Queen Elizabeth, who has been at odds with this character with Margaret Thatcher all season, saying, yeah. "I am appalled that they stripped you of your uh, leadership. Here is a medal of meritocracy of of merit. Sorry, mm. t- t- goodbye. Like yeah. I want you. You achieved things. It's like." Mm. It was confusing. I think... It's a choice to show that because yeah. while it might be true, you don't have to have that on screen. <laughs> yeah, I also think it might have been better to establish that, you know, while Margaret Thatcher thought, you know, the royal family and all that shit was like a waste of time and money. Sure. Um, over the 11 years, there was like a mutual respect built between... Queen Elizabeth and Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always antagonistic. Um, they obviously had built a relationship over eleven years. We don't really see that. We see they have, you know, their issue of the week, which I love. I love that kind of storytelling that they do. But I'm not necessarily seeing a real evolution or a, a greater understanding of one another that would then merit that medal being given. That That's she could, you know, Elizabeth saw. Her value in simply, you know, achieving such high office at the time that she did, being a woman, um, yes. obviously respecting, you know, Queen Elizabeth is someone who has, you know, been seen and I think probably is very, ha- has a hard exterior 
as does Margaret Thatcher, though in a very different way, mm-hmm. much more aggressive way. Seeing that and respecting, I guess, how they play the game in a similar way yeah. could have been perhaps a potential there. But I agree, like that medal at the end is confusing because you don't understand why Queen Elizabeth all of a sudden gifts her this thing that almost seems undeserved simply because she's a woman who made it and not necessarily because of the merit of what she did. like That's kind of, that's the problem right there because I think it is Mm. ultimately a comment on the gender politics of this situation, Mm. right? As a woman in a, a, you know, place of power and leadership as the Queen, Margaret Thatcher comes in, the first female Prime Minister, uh, which, you know, there is merit in just that, I guess, just the reality of that happening. Mm. She was there for 11 years. That's not nothing either. That's a very long stint for anyone to be Prime Minister of a country. Um... And this season, obviously, with the inclusion of Diana, it's very much focused on our female protagonists Mm -hmm. throughout the season. That is probably what it's trying to say. But it is hard when this is also the season where we finally have the Queen seem to do the thing she never said she would do, Mm. which is do something when instead she's her role is to do nothing. That truly shocking. Which truly, uh, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Liz, you little. Bitch, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is one of the big things about mm. whether this actually happened or not. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, the official royal historian is not going to say whether she actually had these mm-hmm. feelings or thoughts or whether these opinions were expressed on purpose or not. And, of course, the, the official lie is going to be that it was the press secretary putting mm-hmm. their own feelings mm-hmm. out there and et cetera, et cetera, and that what happened happened on purpose. But I do like this version of history. I love <laughs> As, it from a from a point from a dramatic point of view. What a naughty minx! It, it, After all these years, it it was like it was so satisfying to see it finally happen and yeah. to happen, uh, you know, across from Margaret Thatcher of mm-hmm. all people, like the biggest villain we're ever going to get on this show. I think. Yeah. Um, it was very satisfying to see Liz sort of find a bit of, I don't know, individuality and strength to use her position to try and do something outside the norm. Mm -hmm. As much as it absolutely fucking blew up in her face and was a massive L for her, it was also very satisfying also when Margaret Thatcher came asking her to dissolve Parliament, which apparently didn't happen either. Um, So, again, dramatisation. But... It's fun, though. Fun to watch. The audacity of it. And then to have the conversation about, you know, maybe it's the time to do nothing, which has always been her big line, mm-hmm. and to sort of get her moment of revenge at the end. Yeah. Listen, reality or not, made for great television. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really did. I I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I I loved it. Um, I did enjoy their little battles. Me, I, I. Yeah, the little battles were fun. I just wished for more of a journey. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. And so, what what would you like to have seen? Do you think? Would you just like to have seen it happen more organically over the course of a whole season? Or is this a limitation of that episodic nature of the show? I mean, this takes place over 11 years. Yeah. Like, it's covering a lot of ground and it's it really is divided between this storyline mm. and the Diana and Charles storyline. Yeah. I think over the season could have been done because within their, like, little individual battles, you know, it as this show does so well, that's a moment where you can learn about a different aspect of someone. Sure. Whereas so often with... The Queen v Maggie Thatcher, it was, I've just discovered a different way that she's terrible mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily a deeper understanding of who she is a person. 
So it's just like within those battles, learning a different aspect, perhaps a growing respect or at least an understanding. You don't think you learnt more about Margaret Thatcher as a person? Like things like- I learned about the ways in which she was terrible. I learned about- I, I felt like for all the things that, of course, she is worth criticising about, mm. it she did become a little bit more interesting and fascinating to me in her contradictions, which is what makes a person human, right? Yeah. It's the things that- uh, they stand for, but also where their failings are. Her so, blind spots particularly bl- were quite interesting. So blind yeah. spots involving her son, um, mm. absolutely fascinating and informed a lot of things, I think. Her blind spots in terms of the effect she was having on the country and the people that she was supposedly leading, etc. Mm. But little things like, I find one of the most fascinating details is the idea that she's like cooking and having to keep up her role as the housewife, mm-hmm. alongside being the fucking prime minister, mm. one of the most fascinating details about her, this contradiction of like that women shouldn't lead because they're lead because they're too emotional, and of course herself being a woman, mm-hmm. like that. I'm not sure if it's self is it self hatred or uh, uh, hatred for agenda or what it is, but that, while not greatly explored, mm. is a big part of the detail and the fabric of the character in this. Every time she's having a meeting with her cabinet and she's cooking up, you know, something in the kitchen with her daughter or whatever mm. it is, it says a lot without saying anything yeah, explicitly. And yeah. I really, really appreciate that because it gives me, I don't know, a lot to to, to sort of think about or, or to munch on there. I, yeah, I guess I like the background of that. I don't think I got a deeper understanding of who she is as a person because of those little details, though. Didn't make her more human to you? The fact that she cooked dinner every night. No, it made me go, oh, that's a bit fucked. Um, But no, no, it didn't. Okay. No. Uh, What about Elizabeth this season? We did talk a little bit about her and her battles with Margaret Thatcher already. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's an evolution of this character? Can there be an evolution of this character? This stalwart side of person, like you said last season, yeah. we sort of come into this Olivia Coleman, Elizabeth, and she's just she's 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 the queen. Yeah, she's got the job. She's good at the job. She knows how to do the role, and she just keeps going on about it. Did you find yeah. there was much here to set her apart from previous seasons that felt like growth, that felt like change, that felt like you were learning more about I her? think it was perhaps this season a bit more of a time of reflection, right? Because she settled into who she is going to be mm-hmm. as the monarch um, and now watching, you know, reflect, I guess her chicken's coming home to roost in a certain way, particularly in regards to her children yeah. and their lives. Um and the way that she has decided to run herself as the queen obviously um, has trickled out throughout her life. So she's, uh, you know, quite an unfeeling, not particularly empathetic person, not affectionate in any way, and how that has then affected her children, mm-hmm. um, their relationships with her, their relationships with their spouses, and just kind of, you know, it's it's done now. Like she's finished really raising them and just having to sit back and reflect on what that actually means. So if her job as the queen is also to create an heir, mm-hmm. um, has she done that effectively? I think perhaps she hasn't. Um, she doesn't seem to like Charles very much at all. She, I think she thinks him thinks of him as weak um, she also thinks of him, I think, as like 
heir apparent is more important than him, the person, right? Yes. So every time oh, she's having a conversation with him, is it because she the, is the job? She is the job, yeah. and she knows that that the next job is to make sure he's ready mm-hmm. for that role, and. So it's it, that episode, and this is where I thought Olivia Coleman was really coming to her own this season. It was really great. That episode where she's like trying to figure out who her favorite is or whatever, which is a lot of fun. Just it the is. idea of like Philip coming and going, oh, you don't know who your favorite is, and like leaves the room. And yeah. like, I was like, that's cheeky and fun. Philip, yeah. by the way, absolute sideline character this season. Yes. Like, he has a well, couple that's of moments of what Diana he became, and then, though, is totally. it? And I think that's also reflective of his relationship in the future we will talk about with him and Diana. Sure. Yeah. And. Anyway, the that idea though of just like her having these lunches, these conversations with her children, and just it just the way that Elizabeth seems to naturally fall into these different patterns with them depending on who they are. Mm-hmm. Particularly with Charles is the most interesting, where she is instantly hypercritical of everything that's yes. going that he's doing because she's always thinking about him being the next one in line. And it's got I'm sure it's on the page. But it's totally subtle stuff in the performance of Olivia Coleman that I really appreciate what she did this season. Mm-hmm. Um, it is is fascinating seeing her as the head of this household and reflecting on those those elements. I agree with you 100%. I really love that stuff. Yeah. I mean, just the moments we spent with the kids. I mean, I'm a big fan of Anne. Of Anne. Oh, I think she's it? great. Um, the kind of yelling, I'm fine, which I... Uh, beautiful. And then also, you know, she says to her mum which I think is pretty accurate. He's like, is your whole thing just to do nothing? Is your is your answer to everything is to do, do nothing? nothing. Which like it is, which is like what we learn in earlier seasons is when she did things, things went wrong. She was taught to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think she learned that that was the good thing to do as the head of the monarchy. And so she's trying to teach her kids that that is the good thing to do. You just do nothing. And you buck all- up. You buck up, you deal with it, and it all turns out fine. Yeah. Because um, for the most part, that worked out for her. Didn't work out for Margaret. Didn't work out for a lot of people in the family. It worked out for her, and she thinks it should work out for everyone else. That- so, so she tries to impart that on her children, particularly Charles. Yes. Who, he, he, for whatever reason, his wiring, he simply can't. He's not her he wants different things. He feels a lot. He doesn't yep. have the capacity to express it in the way that, say, I don't know, a quote-unquote normal person might. <laughs> um, but he does feel a lot. He's a sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, his mum finds it intolerable. <laughs> like who he is is intolerable. The That is one of the most interesting comparisons, I think, this season is if you try and go back and compare, they keep talking about Elizabeth and Philip about... You know, we had our problems and we made it work, you yeah. know. And now it works, you know. For better or for worse, this arrangement is working. Yeah. And I think, like, we see that reflection of, you know, in season one when mm-hmm. obviously Liz and Liz and Phil went mm-hmm. to Australia and, you know, Diana and Charles go to Australia. Like, they both had very tumultuous early marriages. That's why I found fascinating, though, is that they talked, Elizabeth and Philip in this season talked about Australia with some affection. I'm like, this is where she was shown, like, that's, throwing the freaking racket at him. That's how memory it, works, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't actually remember the hardship and so you become super fucking judgmental, particularly yeah. of younger people yeah. who are going through shit. You're like, well, it all works out and you just have to, you know, get on with it. And we had a great time there and you totally 
just everything is blurred. Yeah. Everything is slightly dulled. The like the sharp edges of yeah, those first few years of marriage that they had. And if they had, you know, shown some empathy and given real guidance within the show, I'm not talking about reality, done it. Like who knows what would have happened, yeah. you know? But instead it's just like, well, just get over it. Like just be nice to each other, show some respect. And you'll be fine. She doubles down, doubles down it though. The last scene that really Elizabeth Coleman has in this season is the one with Charles, mm. and it's probably mm. the most passionate we've seen her her entire run of the I series. I loved it. It was so great. I loved it. It was a fantastic uh, scene. I was yeah. like, it was because so much of playing this role at this stage is subtlety, right? Mm-hmm. Is about having to keep the exterior and just show those little cracks through. Very subtle gestures. And mm-hmm. this allowing Elizabeth Coleman to just go, well, just have a little bit of a chew on the scenery for a second. She's had just enough. To, just, to, just to really let it out. Yep. Um, She's about to turn the car around. That's the vibe <laughs> she had yeah. when she was talking to Charles. Turn and, the car around. I- You'll never be king. We'll just <laughs> yeah. give it to Anne instead. <laughs> yeah. I wish. Oh, man, imagine. <laughs> uh, you know, I really like that. We could turn that. to an alternate history show yet. We could, like, next season, we'll kill off Liz straight away and Charles immediately and somehow all of his heirs and give it... Mm -hmm. I don't think it even goes to Anne next, though. I'm pretty sure it'd go to Andrew next. Would it? I'm not sure. Is it a male thing? No, because... No, because Anne still is the heir apparent. Like, not the heir apparent, but, like, the heir and the spare. Yes, but then they had two more. But does that mean... Do the men go first still? I thought maybe the boys went first. Yeah, you're probably right. You have to kill off Andrew and Edward as well. Happily. <laughs> Just Sorry. leave Anne, the only well-cooked one. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, that Yeah, Elizabeth <laughs> Coleman, uh, Liz. Oh, that, that scene. Yeah. No, I, I loved that because what I really enjoyed about this season and I think it perfectly stated in this scene with Charles is that the, the relationship between Charles and Diana is – so tragic from every angle, mm-hmm. I think. You know, we have – and she, obviously she states it as though they're both two very lucky, privileged people who just won't shut the fuck up and get on with it, which is what which I – Which is not I, untrue. Which I is what I felt during the show. Yeah. I was like, just fucking like fuck whoever you want. I don't give a shit. Keep it private. Pretend that you're happy and just live in a mansion forever. Like I, I – I agreed with her. Privilege is a really interesting discussion this season because Margaret Thatcher brings up as well and mm-hmm. uses it as a barb at the royal family. Not incorrect. And then to see Liz end up thinking a very similar thing as well, to mm-hmm. understand her place of privilege. Yeah. And, th- and you could argue there is a very subtle, not very clear journey there, especially if you include the Fagan episode, which obviously a lot of questions about how accurate that was to real life. But mm-hmm. still a great opportunity to talk about like the Thatcher effect on the working class. In Great the UK narrative the time. device, though, for you that can't, to. How could you? For not someone do to that? have actually simply broken into the palace and had a conversation with her, a ten-minute conversation, which you get to write yeah. a script for, and like probably you know, that's not even close to the truth. I understand but- like why people aren't happy with that depiction, but I thought it was like great. <laughs> well, how could it you worked. not? How yeah. could you not? Particularly it's in the tempting. era of Thatcher, yes, the Queen is never going to have a conversation with someone on the street. This thing happened. You got to write that scene. You how, have to. How how you write this show as a piece of like documentary historical storytelling? One and a half out of five. Yeah, as a dramatic retelling of the ideas, the feelings of the times, using real historical events as your springboard. Like five out of five. This show 
knows how to use what it's got yep. to its advantage. And that's Absolutely. what this did. And it's like, yeah, I get it. I understand that's not what really happened probably, but just remember that. Yeah. Just listen. Do you need it? I'm watching Do a show. Do you need it superimposed over every shot? <laughs> this didn't really happen. Okay, fine. We get it. But it gives you some insight into what was true of the feelings, mm. of the reality of the mood at the time of like, that's not untrue. Yeah. Um, they're not making it up that people fucking hate Margaret Thatcher. Mm. Like, that is true. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, going back to um, the art there. But, yeah, but then to end with Liz sort of like talking about the idea of the privilege that these people have mm-hmm. in their place in society and to understand that yeah. in their marriage is yeah. This kind of emerging individualism mm. she finds abhorrent because she wanted but also didn't really have the option to. Yeah. And that her children, I think that's a yeah a, a thing in this show as well. Is the I think Elizabeth has it towards Charles. I think a lot of the Windsors have it about Diana. Mm-hmm. Is when you see someone living their life in a way that you wish you could live, yeah, makes you incredibly angry and vicious and judgmental. And all of that stuff. And it's just like, it just keeps repeating itself in this family. People like stifled and stifled and stifled and any kind of freedom that they see just attack immediately. I think one of the things, this is a little off topic, it just occurred to me as we're talking about this. One of the limitations, mm. unfortunately, this show has now is that, yes, we are very invested in, of course, Elizabeth and Margaret and Phillips in season one and two. And they just keep having to add characters as the family expands. And so it means that, the show is very smartly called The Crown, so it's not about the Queen. It's about all of them. But it means by the nature of the show, it has to move away from the characters. And we don't get... Mm-hmm. It's almost like if we had more time... I don't want to add more episodes, though. I don't want to add longer episodes or anything like that. No. But it means that we have to try and find time for everyone and not everyone's going to get their time spot. Like, mm-hmm. Margaret essentially gets one episode this season, which is yeah. sort of becoming the norm. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a great episode. Mm. Um, but we're just, we're all, we're going to spend less and less time with this character, unfortunately, and they're yep. going to fall more and more into the distance as we do it. I'm really interested because I think next season, I feel like the focus obviously will have to be Charles, Diana and Elizabeth because obviously with what happens, spoilers for real life, Fuck off. Um, <laughs> Spoilers for really well understood televised <laughs> well recent documented, history. Like yes. if often you- mentioned, yes. Um, obviously with the tumultuous divorce, separation and then divorce and then death of Diana and then the public reaction towards Queen Elizabeth, mm-hmm. that's, I would assume, going to be the focus. I would be. I'd say that's next season. Yeah, I would be fascinated to see the parallels or connections or correlations we have with the Queen, the film The Queen. Because Which I need to watch like immediately you to really get do. ready it's for it. It's very good. And also, you'll recognize as you watch The Queen that one of the episodes of this season very much has the exact same metaphor. Sure. Which is, I think, works. But if you've seen The Queen, I was like, can you just reuse an idea like I, that? I, I got the feeling they're going to have to start doing that. And, yeah. like, I suppose why not? Like, But in, like, a different context, though. It was, I was fascinated sure. by that. And I understood why. And I think, you know, the writer was very happy with it. And that's great. But I was like, 
Oh, so now I'm fascinated to see how he's going to tell that story. When he gets to differently. it. Differently. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Will I just say, just to insert the movie in this part, it's like <laughs> the part of it. Elizabeth will be played by Helen Mirren. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I imagine that's where they're going with it. I wonder mm. also whether we're going to get to William and like Kate and stuff like that. Like how far into the future are we going to get? Are we going to get to that next generation? If you think about this as a generational show, the next generation is the next kids. Um, Have there been enough years of them though? I mean, yeah. Uh, I I think so. Cause Cause we're, like, how long have William and Kate been married for? So, because Will, what, is 12 or something in the series, maybe 10. And then, so next... What if this wasn't show Wasn't he like ends, 14 what if this show when she ends, died? What if this show ends with... Um, Harry leaving. Harry and Meghan Markle getting a Netflix deal. Fall <laughs> 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 the way back. <laughs> <laughs> and you just see Meghan Markle writing... At a laptop, very like Carrie from Sex and the City. <laughs> and you just see on her computer, like, The Crown, episode one. Okay, I'm in. I love it. Yeah. Why not? The twist. It was making all along. All along. All along. Um, I feel like getting off track a little bit. Olivia, I don't know what you mean. Yeah. yeah Olivia Coleman, um, just always wanted to say, I think what I really appreciate about her this year is because sometimes she she's becoming like a background character in a late episode. Mm. She's had a few really good ones with Margaret Thatcher, obviously. But the, they found, or she found a way, and the writers found a way to make her dullness mm-hmm. quite witty yes. and fun. Like, she was fun, wasn't she? There was the bit where they were talking about, like, you know, dealing with too much emotion or being angry or whatever. She's like, oh, brisk walk away always fixes that yeah. for me. I'm like, fuck, you are the dullest person in the world. <laughs> but just the way that Olivia Coleman found a way to make that really endearing yeah. and lovely and then followed up just with... Just like grandma, you know? Just like grandma. Yeah. But then followed up with like the Billy Joel bit yeah. and <laughs> there was another line... Um, I loved when she was going to meet up with all the kids and she asked her assistant to like get her like all their hobbies and things and she's like, well, one would hate to appear cold. And I was like, oh, love that. Um, when... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Princess Margaret's talking about Dazzle, right? Mm. And she found this deep connection with him. And she's like, oh, God. well, no, he's a friend of Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, really? And she's like, why was he so enamored with me? And she says, I think you'll find that's because you're a royal princess and he's a raging snob. <laughs> I was just like, And then there was also the bit where he... Which is very true of gay men loving the royal family. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but then there was also a bit with Philip that I loved where he almost choked on whatever he was eating when she brought up like... He's like ballerinas. Well, he's like, why didn't you ever dance for me? And she was like, well, you had your own ballerinas. I was like, oh. that was, and he was like almost It's choked. always it you can so see good. that he like didn't want to move. He's like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Am I she dead? remembers. Did she kill me? <laughs> yeah. Am I dead right now? Yeah. It was just little bits like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. Just really made me go, you, you haven't replaced Claire Foy. I don't think. It, no. I mean, I think anyone's going to have a hard time. Because we spend so much time with her in that role during the formative years, my affection for her, Queen Elizabeth, is so large. Mm. But I did come to really appreciate um, Olivia Coleman's Elizabeth by the end of this. Yeah, season. I appreciated like her intelligence. Definitely. Yeah, through that. Mm. Um, did you have any particular thoughts on Princess Margaret this season, Helen Carter? There wasn't a whole lot. Um, the the hmm. the one episode where I see she's got. A bit of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, she's just so fucking tragic, mm. and the sadness. I mean, I was heartbroken. I think I was yelling at the TV when 
for the millionth time, Princess Margaret just asks for something to do, and then the Queen trots in and goes. I was so actually, angry. I know you've asked for more. I'm gonna give you just a bit less. I think I wrote down "fuck's sake, Liz." I like, what are you doing? <laughs> And I get it's protocol and that's her <laughs> whole thing is like, if it's protocol, got to do it. But I was just like, can't you find s- some sort of job for her to do? Uh, I was interested. I thought we'd get more of it was obviously when Princess M- Margaret isn't doing well and she's going to see her friend mm-hmm. and then Charles comes mm. and I was like, oh, what's the relationship there? We didn't really get one, but I was like, oh, I was hoping we might. Um then, of course, we have her being real cool about the cousin situation, being like, fuck you guys, you're all pieces of shit, fuck you. Which I always say, apparently the interpretation of this is not, again, royal official royal historians mm. are saying this is not quite as it's said, but possibly the darkest perspective on the Windsors that's ever come up in mm. terms of like, and really feeds into the next episode when they throw the that writer press guy under the bus yes. to get Liz out of trouble for expressing opinion on Margaret Thatcher. But, like, to protect the crown, they this idea they would hide these people Well, yeah, away. they sacrifice anyone. Holy fuck, And man. everyone's got to go of it in any way. Truly dark. Yeah. This Darwin had nothing on you line from Margaret. But I just, like, like, fucking hell. Okay, I was, I was like, oh, that's cool that Princess Margaret's being awesome about it. And I need to Google. She had no involvement in that whatsoever. None at all? None. Okay. It's an absolute fiction. <sighs> Because uh, I was just... It was just a good use of a character that's really, obviously Yeah, it was really weird to have a character be like, this is really fucked. Yeah. Go to therapy and be like, is this about me? Is it going to affect me? And the lady's like, no, don't worry about it. And she's like, oh, thank God. And then, so nothing happens about it. No. And then at the end, we see that one of the women died in 2014. Yes. What happened? Did it, Did they look after them at any stage? So, from what I've read, very brief research into yeah. it, like literally just a Wikipedia page, mm. the historical account is that there was always a way this was happening and the Queen Mother was sending them gifts and things all the time, that this was not nefarious and that sort of thing. Right. They were like aware of them and in their very- Oh, they got some of, nice prezzies in, in there, did they? In their very away were like yeah. looking after them. That's the yeah. official line anyway. So, I think this was- Ultimately, they used Margaret and her obvious uh, mental health issues mm. as a vehicle to, A, give Helena Bonham Carter an episode to do her thing, which mm-hmm. is great because Fabulous. Margaret's Loved been fantastic, yep. has been one of the most fascinating characters of the show so far, and to talk about this really da- potentially dark chapter mm. or part of the Windsor family mm. and the royal family and like the price of them having to protect mm. the crown, which I think was a great episode. How much is based in reality in terms of how events actually played out? Almost none, as far as I can tell. Does mm. so it not make it a good episode of television, though? I think it's still a great episode. I think of it does. I was just like, the, the episode didn't itself have any kind of resolution to make me go. No, it just made me feeling like awful. Yeah. Was, oh, these episodes, though, like when we find out it's just like a bunch of Nazis or they've just thrown their cousins pretty much in jail, it's just. It's a lot to absorb. Yes. But it's, I think it's... <laughs> I'm glad we get the information. Yeah. For, for a Googling. For a nice for Google. A Google for just a Google. Just to set you up to start yeah. looking into these characters. Yeah. One other thing I really like about the episode, and there's not enough of them, some of my favourite... Well, possibly my favourite relationship in the entire show is Liz and Margaret. It always... Oh, they're, yes. they're always. complex, yep. sisterly 
relationship. There's a little bit where they go dottering in these two old birds now, mm-hmm. dottering into the yeah. library and start researching. I'm just oh, like, this is the most adorable thing I I've ever seen in my life. when Margaret gets up on the ladder and she's coming yes. down and Liz is just like, oh, slowly now, or something like about being careful. I was like, that is so goddamn cute. It's so Look adorable. Yeah. I love them so much. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we really haven't spoken about Charles and Diana that much yet as characters. We should no. do that before we get finish mm-hmm. this up. How do you feel about... How do you feel about their characterization this season? The performances doesn't mm. sound like you. I think I was just confused by Diana, the character. Mm. Um, I just found her a bit annoying. <laughs> to me. I messaged a friend that the other day, well, when I was watching it, and I said that, and I got at least seven paragraphs of insults back <laughs> she was so angry she was like you know diana reminded me of my mother my mum was a working mother and but sh- diana showered those boys with love and all this stuff and i was like okay <laughs> like it's a, it's a sensitive subject for people and Definitely. i understand that i'm talking about the character within the tv show i'm not talking about the person so i need to say that i've i one i found her confusing Okay. I found her uh, level of naivete annoying, um, but I think it was good in demonstrating just how young and ill-prepared she was for that situation. I would argue they're both extremely naive, though. Philip II, oh, sorry, Charles too, in his own way, he shouldn't be so naive. But no, he's, he's meant to be 32 years old. Exactly. That conversation you were talking about in Australia, where mm. like, everything is solved... Or like I was thinking, my first note was this is almost Shakespearean and like this, like this is a sort of like lovers' quarrel discussion you'd find in you know a play that side. Right? Mm. Yes, but then <laughs> it ended in a way, and I was like, "Oh, you naive motherfuckers! <laughs> You've got no idea how this would actually." We just have to be kind actually, to each other. Yeah, I was yeah. like, "You just both seem like complete idiots," yeah. which possibly they were. They were like, yeah. walked into this thing. Mm. Um, with no idea of how these things are actually going to work. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. Do you mm. think Diana... A lot of people have talked about how well, Diana... I'm going to speak about Charles for a moment because oh, I spoke on. about Diana. I don't want it to sound as though sure. I was like, fuck Diana. Um, but I think Charles starts off, obviously, he's very heartbroken about Camilla gets carried away because I think in the show he's depicted as being young, um, even though he wasn't and was probably far more aware of what he was doing um, in terms of finding someone young and fabulous who the press was keen on. I I think it is Um, important though that like, yes, he was older and should know better. Is there a reason that he didn't though? Like, is he, at least the character in the show, not necessarily mm. saying the person in real life, emotionally stunted because of his ridiculous attachment, not ridiculous, his firm attachment Mm. to one other person in his life. And it has left him... Just an obsession, isn't it? Obsession, yes. Absolute obsession. And I think also the allowances given to someone in his position in terms of, well, you can be married, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have other things. Mm -hmm. And so I guess perhaps it was naive of him to think that he can just marry anyone and that they then would be okay with that continuing, which is, was 
obviously not the case with Diana. No. That wasn't going to be the situation because she wanted the fairy tale. She wanted to marry the prince who would then become king and they would be in love forever and it would be fabulous and they have beautiful babies. And that's not, spoilers, not what happened. No. Um, Still, I mean, he's not yeah. king yet. Like. But I, you know, there were moments where I was like, because I was sympathising with both of them, but certainly with Charles who clearly made a mistake, mm-hmm. was then because of his family trapped in that mistake. Mm-hmm. But then they do this really wonderful thing where because he is so unhappy, he absolutely turns and becomes vicious, so cold and unkind to Diana, who is left with very little choice at that point yep. because she's given no resources to deal with that. So I guess that was the question is like, mm. there's a lot of talk about how uh, like Diana is ultimately the victim possibly in this series and Charles mm. is the villain. Mm. And I don't, I don't quite agree. feel that way. Mm. I don't think it's that black and white. I think mm. I think it's very easy and probably appropriate to put more of this burden or what went wrong here on Charles for yep. a number of reasons. But I do think it's a little bit more complex than that. I yes. Like a, a good point that was pointed out to me. Well, well maybe another st- question to ask is how do you feel about Camilla? They don't. She seems like a fucking bitch. Um, particularly in that scene, I think, with Diana. When they're at the at lunch yeah, or whatever. The, the marking her territory lunch. Totally. Um. They make it seem as though she is manipulating Charles a bit in yeah. terms of telling him half truths. I'm not saying that she did obviously wasn't in love with him, but the half truth of it all, particularly Anne's, you know, indictment of her. Um, it, yeah, is it's interesting. it's interesting whether it's a half truth or whether she's just more practical. Yeah, no, no, she's just more attached to the reality of the situation. Yeah, like I think that's probably true. And it's yeah. it's not necessarily that. That's that's the ultimate question of this show, and I don't think it answers it, and I think that's mm. fine, is like, is she manipulating and using Charles and manipulating, you know, this situation, or is she just better at understanding what this is? What's happening. What is yeah. actually happening here? Yeah. Because she says a lot of things I think are very, very true in terms of the things we can't do, mm-hmm. and when she talks about, like, and I hated, like, his reaction to, like, you hurt Camilla when you had this massive success in New York, but she was 100% right. Like... If you divorce her and marry me, I'm the villain instantly. Yeah. I can't compete with that. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not fucking wrong. Like yeah. that is the that is the reality of the world as it is. Yes. That's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Camilla will always be the other woman. I loved her great understanding of story. Well, she was like, in order to be the protagonist, you need at first to like have some hardship, be a victim, yes. have a struggle. I was like, She's right, Charles. And, but that she's made right. me, and that was interesting though. Is like it's easy to see her as the villain, but I kind of like I think she's kind of right in this situation. Like, yeah, the that makes yeah. her practical. I think because like probably because she one was older than certainly Diana, and two she wasn't a Windsor, and so probably just had more world experience and wasn't yeah. you know bubble wrapped as much as Charles was. So she saw things clearer. Um, I think Charles does set himself up as this perpetual victim of circumstance. I love when Anne, or I think it was Anne called him Eeyore. Someone called him Eeyore. I was yeah. Like, Damn straight, you yeah. mopey. Yes. I think that was his nickname. It's deserving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. Yes, they set him up. They, he sets himself up as the victim all the time. Yes. 
Do you think he is a victim? In- Partially, absolutely. Yes. He's both victim and perpetrator. Yeah. So he obviously is in a very hard situation, particularly since he decided to get married and then realises that it's not as easy as just getting married and you can still do whatever the fuck you want. Um, and also because of who you are, you can't just get out of that. Mm-hmm. You've made a commitment now and you are a re- representative of all of these different things, of all these different institutions. So, yes, absolutely. But then his way of dealing with that is then to place all of that anger and frustration on the one person who is also trapped. 100%. Who yeah. who he trapped is the yes. worst part, right? Like, it's like I understand there was all this pressure to do this mm. from the royal family and that obviously has motivated a lot of what mm. happened here. But ultimately, whether or not she was... As in th- she was obviously mm. enthusiastic about doing this too. He still has all the power because yes. of his position in life. Absolutely, and that's the bit that makes it hard to mm. to have sympathy for him. Because yep. I think there is a good argument that he is a big victim here of circumstance, of his place, of expectation. Mm-hmm. And someone did point out it's like as much this par- uh, marriage doesn't work, and they all did horrible things to each other, and there's things that are worth criticizing there. Since he's been with Camilla in real life. There have not been scandals around these two. No. They obviously, or apparently, actually yeah. are it really was, well suited yeah. to each other it was and such, should be together. Diana and Charles, like, such a bad match. And I love, you know, Margaret at the very beginning being like, it's a mistake. And, like, how does this family keep making the same mistakes yeah. over and over and over again? Um, yeah, it's this whole thing around strategic marriages by people who themselves have had miserable marriages. So mm. I think, like... Your strategy's wrong. <laughs> like at some point, something needs to change. Which, thankfully, in real life, it did. Has but, it? I mean, like you said, with Charles and Camilla. Yes. Harry and Megan. They seem pretty happy. Though Kate and Will. Who? Who knows? We don't know enough don't about know. that. But like, I mean, he was a fucking whore when they were dating. But anyway, the, is that right? That's right. Well, that's what the tabloids tell me, and I totally believe them one hundred percent. Thanks, Daily Mail. <laughs> but like, they, there's, I think there's very little scandal around those two that I can really think of. She's always been seen as like, and we're getting really into reality here. We're not talking about the show anymore. Yeah. She's just sort of been seen as the perfect princess, though. Mm. Um, like Diana two point but much more successful at doing that. I think. Um, yeah, managing the systems. Yeah. yeah, and then Megan is sort of the other one. The ac- <laughs> well, I think she's probably. Closer to Diana, Diana than Kate is in terms of her ability to deal with what the royal family is, but maybe also coming at the right time where I know modern world. It's so it's. I, I really hope I would love them to get to this stuff because I think it's fascinating. Like mm. where the royal well, family is at the moment. Prince Harry is like the Princess Margaret, but growing up in a time where he was able to make different choices for himself. Totally, yeah. Because he's like you know the next one down the line. More of a free spirit seems much more relatable. Yes, um, was able to marry someone that he loved, and yep. then was able to tell them all to go fuck themselves. Yeah, which is nice. Good for him. Um, <laughs> it's it's like I got a podcast uh, deal. I just noticed the other day. I think it was Spotify. Or something like, like that. are they going to be on it, or are they just producing them? They're I'm just s- producing yeah, them. Okay. I'd love it if they were on it. <laughs> I would. I'd actually talk about, about marriage. Um, let's finish with Diana. Uh, we I don't know if there's anything to talk about with Philip or Anne, really. I don't... I enjoyed their presence. So. I mean, I, in terms of talking about Diana, we can talk 
about, about the Philip Philip stuff. And that great, you know, stag analogy is mm-hmm. really just, you know, your any kind of reiterates that point, the very end of the season is that you are the trophy. You're hung up on the wall that they can stand next to and be like, look at what I've got, but you're not the thing. You're not the hunter. You're not the person who people actually want to focus on, which Diana is either unable or unwilling to do. So that was and both a- those things are valid, but that is... Her as a character cannot be in the background. One because she's beautiful and just charming by in front of a camera of who she exactly. Is. And sure. Charles, by nature of who he is, is very boring and dull, and no one wants to look or talk to him. Um, so, you know, it's in that way also a mismatch. But Philip is trying to tell her to get perspective and be like, get in line. Re- realize who you are, and you're not the one. That was that was yeah. a fascinating conversation. It's like, what is what is being said here about Diana's character, or is it more just trying to yeah put perspective on her role? Like you are part mm. of this now, yeah. Whether you like it or not, but you married into this idea, yeah. This is not about you. Yeah. This is about one other person. Yes. <laughs> one. And I mean, person. it took Philip a long time. Once again, it's the kind of dulling of the memories. A long time to get in line uh-huh. and to realize who he was. And now, yeah. He's just hung up on a wall and very, you know, quiet and reserved and, you know, hangs out with his wife. But other than that, doesn't do a whole lot. To the point where he is almost decoration for this entire show now. Mm. He doesn't get episodes Mm -hmm. about him. He didn't get one this season. Mm -hmm. He's not really having stories told about him. He just shows up, has a couple of conversations with Liz and leaves the room. Is there something sad about that, about Philip? Or is that, is is that content? Or is that just, is it a pat? I'm just fascinated to see where they go with that character now. Yeah, I think in the show he says, you know, you can have – you have these other love affairs or whatever, but then you have your person and then you, like, grow to love them and there's – you know, there is something wonderful about that. I don't think it's either, you know, this great tragedy or Mm. this great triumph. I think it's just very much like, well, this is what it is and he seems – Content. He does seem content. That's the bit that's really interesting about it. He almost seems like the most. I mean, her and Elizabeth, him and Elizabeth, really seem like the most. And whether they've been forced into that role and whether there's a tragedy there about that, they kind of just seem, Mm. you know, happy with their place or not happy, but content with their place in the world. They understand their role and they play it and they do it. He's the confidant. She's, yeah, the one out front. Yep. He seems happy to do that and. You know, potter around the palace, I guess. Um, how do you feel about the handling of Diana's eating disorder? I was like, I didn't know that. I didn't either, but apparently that was common knowledge. At least I, a patient who's very royalist, who okay. had, had who I was talking to about this, who definitely did not love Diana, I got the feeling. Mm. She was v- very much into the, the Windsors, so I was in yeah. this perspective, different to most people, I think. Um, she was aware of this. Mm. Um, I, I had no idea. I had no idea. Um, 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 um. I mean, it's confronting and obviously very sad. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I feel about it being portrayed, but then like if everything else is being shown or like hinted at or whatever, and it does indicate where she is mental health wise. Yes. I also appreciated Elizabeth 
saying to Charles, you know, you treat your wife like shit. Her mental health is down the crapper. And mm-hmm. because of that, things are now, I don't understand what she's doing, but she's clearly not well. Mm-hmm. So fuck off. I really liked that. Um, Cause the poor woman needs some fucking help and was, wasn't receiving it. And classic Elizabeth, does she do anything about it? Of course not. But she says that to Charles. Um, as an indicator of where she is mentally, I think it's good. Is it confronting to see a woman who had an eating disorder in real life and that's now being shown? It's full on, I'll say mm. that. And narratively works. Agreed. Yeah. A couple of just final thoughts on Charles. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the most interesting flaw about him is he says he wants kindness, right? But every time Diana offers it to him in her own way, it's he wholesale rejects it. Yeah. Which I think is what makes him so hard well, to sympathize with. Well, he confuses kindness with like absolute adoration. Yeah. Is what he wants. Mm-hmm. Because her kindness, they both have such an unwillingness to get to know one another. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't know that that is absolutely nothing like what he would want mm-hmm. in any way. Um, and when she was doing particularly the the dance, I was like, well, that's a fucking mistake. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge mistake. And then again with the, the Phantom of the, the opera. opera, I was like, oh, dear. Um, so she ha- has no knowledge of who he is um, and he has no knowledge of who she is because he doesn't care about her at all really Mm. um yeah and so what he wants is not to know her and understand how she loves and therefore receive that version of kindness he just wants her to be something else camilla who adores him and they adore each other that's Mm. what he wants the other thing that makes extremely hard to give a shit about charles Mm. is when he calls children suffering with a with aids wretched and disposed i was like well, classic, yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> How are we meant to like you? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's great to see him turn that you know important moment when Princess Diana hugs a child with AIDS. Yeah, it makes it all about him and his girlfriend. <laughs> Fucking hell, you're the worst. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. All right, I just have two very short side notes. Um, I like just the kind of acknowledging that Andrew is a creep and will grow up to be a major fucking creep. That, that, uh, yeah. Like I was like, the thank sho- you, you need to acknowledge it. Absolutely. Yes, you, yes, yes. You can't talk around that now. The show is like, yeah, let's let's put yep. say this right now. Yep. Signpost that one because uh-huh. um, who knows how long the crown is going to go for. We might get to that later. Yeah. Um, Imagine if they did. They got to like... An Andrew and Epstein episode, oh, something like that. Far out. Whew. I mean, they're good. Happen. Who knows? Um, and then I, you know, learned what the... Is it Falklands? Is that how I say it? For- Falkland, Falkland yeah. Islands, yeah. Yeah, I learned what that was about. Because I would hear people talk about that war and I had no fucking idea what it was mm-hmm. or where the Falklands were. Um, and then I was like, oh, cool. Thanks for that little history. The Apparently, this whole thing about her son going missing at the same time as the Falkland Islands is not true. Yeah, like, the timing's off. Timing's way off. But, but the actual incident, I just had no idea what it was about. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of little musings. For some reason, especially early on, watching um, 
Gillian Jacob, Gillian Anderson, sorry, fucking hell. Yeah, I'm surprised that's the first time that's happened because I've been on the verge many times. <laughs> yeah, Doing her Thatcher. I kept seeing Rose Byrne doing this impersonation for some reason. There was something about her face and I was like, oh, looks a little bit like Rose Byrne for some reason, which that is a terrible is- thing to say. <laughs> Bizarre. I have no idea what you're talking about. I just kept seeing her. There was something about her face early in the very first time we saw her. I was like, why don't you remind me of Rose Byrne? Anyway, Mm. um, you know, you've got too much funny when you're doing too much money when you're doing CGI stags. (laughs) There was a bit in the episode where, um, in the Balmoral episode, where they've killed the stag and um, Philip is skinning the deer and then. Charles walks in. I was like, that's like a Game of Thrones thing. We've seen this before. Mm -hmm. If only Uncle Dickie was there. Absolutely. What did you think of Richard Roxburgh's Bob Hawke performance? That was pretty good. Not bad. Well, he's done it before. Oh, has he? In a miniseries, yeah. I can't remember what it was. I think it was just about Bob Hawke, but yeah, he's done it before. Oh, he's played the Bob Hawke before. Mm -hmm. Cool. Is that one of those like Channel 9... Like, I believe so. Oh, great. That's why I didn't that see I definitely didn't watch, but I'm sure our parents did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my favourite lines. Um, Prostitutes and Australians. Isn't that who lives in Earl's Court? Thank you, Margaret. <laughs> that is 100% true. And the line from Edward when Charles, um, uh, it was Andrew's wedding day. Um, he was talking about the reality of the fact mm. that he'll, you know, he's a skin- No one cares about you guys. Yeah. yeah was, that was impressively cunty. I did Edward. enjoy that. It was yeah. a very good line. At one point when they were doing the Elizabeth's favourite children episode, I was mm-hmm. like, is the resolution going to be here that her horses are her favourite children? <laughs> she fucking Which, loves her horses. Horses and dogs. That's probably Horses accurate, yeah. and dogs. I think that is it. Every time I see a corgi, I get very happy. So I appreciate that. Thank you, show. I was wondering if they were going to make any allusion to the idea or any aspersion. Anyway, signpost the idea that Harry is not Charles's. They didn't really do it. Mm. Except the Major Hewitt... Guy yes. does look a little Harry-ish, yes, I thought. Yes, yes. Look, it's something I think about often. <laughs> I really, whenever I watch The Crown, I think about that. I was like, I wonder now that he's free if he'd ever get a, a DNA, DNA test. test. But then why would you? Because then like. You'd be, would you yeah. be cut off? How would you, what would happen? I don't know what would happen. It's, I don't know. Anyway. Probably best not to test those <laughs> waters, I'd say. Yeah. Tell you something I really didn't like. Really didn't Ooh, like okay. season, okay? The end of the uh, Terranullius episode, mm-hmm. they go to New Zealand. For their oh, I whatever. didn't like that either. I know exactly what you're talking about. I was like, so, this is fucked. This was kind of shit. Yeah. They, so the haka, mm-hmm. um, sort of the Maori, you know, traditional um, war dance, I think it is, gets used all the time when the All Blacks and stuff are playing rugby and things like that. You know, it get, it's mm. used as this proud mm-hmm. New Zealand Maori dance. Did you see that amazing viral video recently of that like the little, little boy? Kid? Yeah. Oh, it was Very so cool. beautiful. Anyway, go on. I, I love the haka. I think yeah. it's such an amazing thing. I'm gl- I'm so glad that New I'll Zealand is able anytime. to. I'll watch it anytime. Anytime, happy to watch it. And they they use it and with pride. Mm-hmm. It's an ex- you know of as their nationality. And they're in touch with their indigenous culture. It's fan fucking tastic. Mm-hmm. And then it's used over this fucking awful montage where. If they're the only people of colour for the entire episode, yeah. and they didn't have to be because it was set in Australia, and certainly Indigenous Australians could have been a part of this themselves. And the episode's called Terranullius. And it's called fucking Terranullius, and they didn't talk about what that actually, yeah. why that's fucked in the episode yeah. either. So this is a bit of Australian history here. And then to use it in that way, in this almost like... Nightmarish. Nightmarish yeah. dream thing. The way it was lit and shown, I was like, this is like just... Like scary savages. I was like, yes. that's fucked. Disgusting. Yeah. I was really, really unhappy about that. Yeah, I agreed. thought that was fucked. Mm-hmm. I, the exact, I was like, 
no, you can't do that. Really can't upset. Do that. Really yeah. upset. And it's one of those things where watching that episode in particular, it made me go like, I'm having a really visceral reaction to how some things in Australia are being represented and talked about here. Maybe I need to think about how this perspective should be applied to how they're talking about the United Kingdom. <laughs> and yeah. like, we've had different discussions about like whales and stuff like that in previous episodes and the relationship with the with the royal family and the United Kingdom in general, etc. I'm having a very visceral reaction to the inaccuracies here and how they're portraying some things. Mm. I probably shouldn't invest too much in what they're presenting to me because it's maybe not as uh, sensitive to that sort of stuff as it should be. Yeah. I mean... There's things, obviously, about the accuracies around certain things that Bob Hawke said, said, but he definitely didn't say those things. So he, even if his sentiments might have been in that vein, yes, he didn't say those. All that. Yeah. I don't really give a fuck about that. Sure. I don't care about that. Sure. But the betrayal of the Haka in that instance, and as you said, is the Terra different thing. to me, and also the Terra Nullius thing, calling it that, but then having no. Conversation well, about the conversation, the ramifications came, of that. The conversation we should maybe we should explain this to listeners. Okay, right? terra nullius is a term in our constitution. I understand the idea that British, which was recently overturned, overturned. Yes, but the idea essentially was that Australia was not inherit was not inhabited by anyone, anyone. when white man arrived in yes seventeen. So it was like the land of no one. And therefore was up for the taking. Absolutely. They could just inherit it and claim it as their the British claim it as their own when they got here with the first fleet, mm-hmm. basically. Which obviously is bullshit. Which means no treaty, nothing needs to be um, reached with the indigenous people that, here or First and Nations. Suggests people. that this was not an invasion. Yes. Which of course it was, because First Nation people, Indigenous Australians, were here a long <laughs> fucking time before we were. Yes. Um, Oldest civilization in the fucking world. Exactly. And so Terranalis is is a very controversial sort of term because mm-hmm. of that in Australia and to bring that up and use it in the context of like Bob Hawke wanting to make Australia a republic <laughs> because it was the, it was saying it was owned by someone originally he did not mean indigenous Australians no. he meant the British yeah. and that Australia had then claimed it as their own separate of the commonwealth and that it should become our own fuck you <laughs> yeah get fucked without talking about at least a little bit about what that term really means yeah, i found absolutely. that Kind of gross. Yes, agreed. Um, something I did love though, mm. Claire fucking Foy. Ah, oh, ah! Oh. What a when treat! When I saw her beautiful face, <laughs> I started clapping. Oh, I was so, I was just like, fuck yeah, I love her. I, know. I love her as Elizabeth. I just, she makes me so happy, Brad. I know. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Yeah, no, great. It, it was a lovely little treat. At the start of episode eight, I think it yeah. was, just to get a little bit of Claire Foy there and just be like, oh, I do miss you so much, and I love mm-hmm. your version of Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, and I did. We did ask the question last season. Actually, would we ever see any of those original actors come back? Because um, the guy who played King George, whose name I can't remember, all of a sudden. Anyway. He came back for a little bit mm-hmm. when they were talking about the abdication and like the Nazi side of things yes. with King Edward. Um, I want to go back and watch so many episodes from this show. I love it so much. Anyway, it go is on. a great show. Yeah. <laughs> Might be worth actually a full and there's so many like you know individual like we said episodic episodes Stand out that episodes. you can just like go back and Jump watch. Into. I really want to do that anyway. Um, and so to get the answer to that, that is yes, there is the possibility that when it is suitable, mm-hmm. we might have a Claire Foy or a Matt Smith or a Vanessa Kirby or someone mm-hmm. step back into the role just briefly to do a little flashback like that. Oh, 
Mm. It was it was delicious. Nice. <laughs> I loved it. Um, yeah, least favorite and favorite episode. What was your least favorite episode, Damask? I'm actually going to go with Terra Nullius, episode six. Um, uh, one because uh, I didn't really like Charles or Diana when they were together. Mm-hmm. I think I much more prefer them when they're apart. I think that's how they prefer themselves as well. <laughs> um, I also found that the resolution came very quickly. I found the pacing in the show felt a little off. It was like meandering and then bam, 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 bam um, towards the end there. Uh, what else about that episode? Well, what they do, they did that awful montage to just sort of show them falling uh, apart again and that was yeah. the end of the episode. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I was pretty disappointed with it. I thought it was what a great time to really spend a shit ton of time with those two characters. Mm-hmm. But they were just as insufferable and a bit blur to me as ever. Which, you know, there's a certain point to that. Like, they are meant to be a mismatch. They aren't yeah. meant to work. There is meant I to be problems there. I understand the mismatch. I wish they were more fascinating individually in that episode mm-hmm. and that when they were together, those factors played out in an interesting way to me. It's not what happened. I found them insufferable apart in this episode. Um, annoying together and then... That that scene where they have the big discussion, mm-hmm. I thought was quite bad. Sure, I didn't like it. Um, yeah, so just it's a thumbs down for me. I agree. Terminalis episode six is my least favorite episode. I think it's probably not helped by that I am looking at certain parts of this and like raising an eyebrow as an Australian. So <laughs> like I am hypercritical of that, and fair enough. Um, like that, maybe that's not a good enough reason. But alongside that, it is possibly where the Diana and Charles stuff is its most soap operatic, right? Mm-hmm. It's its most tabloid ish in terms of this show is good at drama, mm. but it doesn't necessarily fall into this sort of super over the top high soap operatic drama. Mm. And this episode seemed to do that to some degree, which oh. may be a true reflection on the couple a little bit and that yeah. situation, but it it just didn't feel on par with what this show can offer overall. Yeah. I just remember one bit that made me roll my eyes. Well, I do not condone walking on Uluru at all, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. but the scene in which Diana just simply can't mm-hmm. annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> I was just, just fucking do it. You shouldn't walk on Uluru. You never should and fuck people who did. And have and whatnot. I but have. In- I did it when I was a much younger man. I was in year nine. I didn't know any better at the time. Okay, that's quite different. I would never do you it were- again. You were a child. Yeah, thank you. Didn't understand the history. Not me for to forgive, but it's out there. Um, <laughs> you're about to be cancelled. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. How much more cancelled can I get? Yeah, exactly. But it, like, as something to occur in the show. From a character that I was already struggling with, yeah. that moment made me go, "Oh, for fuck's sake, Diana, just get up the goddamn hill!" Yeah, it it, it annoys. To me. be fair, as someone it's very hot who has who regrets walking up it, yes, it's a it's not easy. No, it's actually very dangerous. She should have been wearing sneakers. To be fair, to be fair. <laughs> um, favorite episode. Favorite episode. It's actually Fagin. It's mm-hmm. one of those isolated episodes, like self-contained yep i thought what a great opportunity like in the thatcher era for a i don't like the term but working class person um to get in and have a conversation with the queen so all the background we got on fagan 
I'm not talking about accuracy here. I'm just talking about within the show, yep. the background of him, the plight of people, you know, living on like a council estate, being mm-hmm. unemployed, having absolutely no options, things becoming increasingly hopeless for that person. Uh, I love the the structure of the episode. I love the, the beginning. Juxtaposition. The juxtaposition. The beginning where you have kind of the, the headlines of what has occurred. Mm-hmm. Then, because I didn't know about this story until a couple of years ago when my friend who was a royalist told me about it. I was like, what the fuck? I had no yeah. idea. So I was hoping they would tell the story. So when they saw the headlines, I was like, fuck yes. I didn't realize he broke in twice. I didn't know he broke in twice either. I don't yeah. know if that's true, but it that's is what. True. Okay, yep. cool. So he, yeah, breaks in and I think it's going to be the big break in. And then he does. And I was like, oh, when's it going to happen? So the tension is rising. I'm really excited for the conversation. Mm. Then it finally happens. And Olivia Coleman is wonderful mm-hmm. in that. They're both wonderful mm-hmm. in that scene together. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that very, very much. Um, her, you know, very natural panic turning to almost the most kind we've ever seen her in terms of like clearly she's managing the situation. Taking control. Yes. Yeah. Um, And listening to him and not quite understanding but kind of, you know, slowly building an understanding as to what he's talking about. Um, Then the relief. The relief. That's the thing is and then once he's gone and she's alone, the, Mm -hmm. the breaking down and the fear coming in. I just thought it was a wonderful episode. I really, really liked it. I really like that as well. Mm. And I like the follow-up as well, like her reaction to it. And like Philip's complete like he just cannot get over that she is not more I know. Like taken aback by the whole situation. He's impressed. He's in, he's impressed but also a little confused. Like logically you should probably be <laughs> a little more scared of the fact that someone <laughs> broke into your, you know, bedroom twice. <laughs> uh, yes, that's yeah. true. I uh, think yeah, I guess you just thought it was so Absurd, the whole thing. Just, but I, just, I loved when, you know, the first break-in happens and they just want to cover it up. They're like, oh, let's just... Do they have to know? Let's just not bother that with, her, though. with that, all like, that... Well, fu- at least in the show. That's yeah, just like, her saying- all that fuss, like, whatever. Yeah. Which is fair enough because, you know, they live a pretty self-contained life. Who wants the imposition of extra security, mm-hmm. blah, 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 all that shit? Um, yeah, no, I thought it was really well done. Uh, there's a bunch of episodes I think I could have put in this. I mm-hmm. thought Fairy Tale was a really good episode. I quite liked the Balmoral Test um, in a big way as well. Fagin was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked Hereditary Principle as well, which was Margaret's episode. But I think I'm going to give it to episode 8, 48 to 1, mm-hmm. which is the uh, Margaret Thatcher dealing with South the South African mm-hmm. apartheid and like the whole idea of trying to word that statement mm. and like the parallels to the way that the England or the, the UK is treating the EU at the moment and then all that sort of, sort of stuff that's going on. And then following the character, that character of Michael, the writer and how he was, well, whether he's involved or not in how that document was written, but weaving him into that story. He's kind oh, of the tragedy of that, and into the it, betrayal. And then gets thrown under the bus yes. mm-hmm. and then really seeing Elizabeth, like, do the thing she said she'd never do and instantly being like, that yes, was Yes, that's exactly bad. what I was saying. Like, the slap it on the It was hand. not a win. It was a and massive loss. it always happens loss. to her. No wonder she never does anything. It, yeah. That's what always happens. She, you know, steps a toe slightly out of line sometimes and yep. then immediately whack on the hand. Instant, yeah. Instantly she lost. Yes. And it was like, 
watching Margaret Thatcher come into that next minister, your prime minister's meeting, mm-hmm. and just on the attack immediately, and she knew exactly how to handle the situation, mm-hmm. and Liz is completely on the back foot. And you don't want that for her, but you watch it and you're like, yep, yeah, that's, that's what has to happen. And then making yeah. the, having to make the awful decision and do the Windsor thing, which is throw someone else under the bus for the sake of the crown. Mm-hmm. It was, I think it was like, in some ways, the most culminative of what we've learned about these characters mm-hmm. and these these institutions and these systems being tested in a way and like proving to be true. Mm. I really, really like that episode. Ah. Uh, lot. Uh, but that was a really great season overall. I, I loved it. Uh, do you have any thoughts, concerns, predictions for next season? I think now after two seasons of this cast, because like there was so much trepidation from going from the original cast mm-hmm. to the new one, um, but now after having two seasons of a new cast, I have full faith in another new cast. So yes. I'm just excited for to see other performers come in and play those roles. I'm fascinated to see what that will look like. I'm excited to kind of delve a bit deeper into, you know, the time when we were alive. Yeah. Which we haven't really seen. I mean, we might have been babies at the end of this season. There was a point where I was like, I'm alive now while this stuff's happening. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. that's what we got to. Yes. I was about so, two years old. Were they the just season. about to separate? Mm. We is- finished in 1990. Is where we ended up. Yeah, so babies. So the end of, end yeah. of Thatcher. So I was two years old. Yeah. Yeah. I was one because I'm younger. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm kind of fascinated to see all of that played out. I wa- I'm curious to see if we'll see any of um, the Spencers because um, obviously Diana's brother, I remember seeing him a lot okay. when I was younger, particularly sure. in the news after her death um, and that type of thing. Uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see a new cast. And we've got an Australian playing Diana, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the Who's actress's name. name I now. never remember. No, but it's she looks naughty. like great casting as well. Yes. I want to say this as very well. Very tall. So it'll be very, interesting very how much she'll spend on her knees in shoots. Um, Not to be rude, Brod. No, 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 no. I understood what you were saying. Thank you. Well, that's an interesting question. They, I suppose we're going to recast everybody, aren't they? They have to recast Charles. They have to recast Anne, which makes me a bit sad. This is where She's I'm at. She's perfect now. as Anne, yeah. The that's the feeling I'm at now, funnily enough, mm. is that I am looking forward to the new cast. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for these next two seasons. Mm-hmm. As you said, it's taking place in our lifetime, so it's going to be much more mm. recent and familiar. I am I feel like in some way we only just got this cast though. Or yeah. in a sense, I've only just started to just really appreciate this cast mm. for who they are and they're being taken away from me. Because as much I think I, I attach myself much quicker to Claire Foy and Matt Smith mm-hmm. and Vanessa Kirby mm-hmm. because particularly the the women of those three, because I didn't know them from other things, they just became those characters and I had to adjust. And I'm just as I'm starting to really appreciate them, I'm going to have to adjust again. So you can and always this, go back and watch season three again. Totally. Yeah. And I think With that, a new perspective. that could yeah. be the really smart thing to do is go back and watch season three again mm. and maybe appreciate a little bit more now that I have gotten used to them. So I'm a little bit sad about them moving on, but it's what's exciting about this show. It's it's kind of actually what I love about Doctor Who is that like it keeps evolving. It yes. keeps changing. You don't have time for things to get stagnant. Mm-hmm. And if things aren't great, it'll just move on again. Um, well, probably won't. It's only two more oh, seasons. But speaking of Doctor Who, totally off topic, but sure, is, is it Russell T Davies? That's his name. Yes, Davis? he Davis? was. He was the showrunner for the Eccleston Tenant era. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, did you watch A Very English Scandal with Hugh Grant? No. It's very good. Oh, really? It's like is a three-part miniseries. I recommend people watch it. It's very, very good. Mm. And Hugh Grant is amazing in it. I don't know why this came up. It must be thinking about The Crown. I'm still sad to this day. I was really hoping Olivia Coleman would be the Doctor. I still think she'd be a brilliant Doctor. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like, mm-hmm. I just think she'd bring a real dignity and a real silliness and a real just different take mm-hmm. on the Doctor that would be perfectly suited for that character. Fuck Give anything for that to happen. It's never going to happen though now. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Hile of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at Maskymo, M A S K Y M O O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss The Mandalorian Season 2. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. This is a nice long episode, making Mm. up for the short one last week. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.